Before we get started, I, I just want to tell you a quick story. Um, um, I, I, it's, it may be hard to believe when you see me that I, I'm certified as a scuba diver. Um, and I learned to be a scuba diver in a swimming pool. And so uh, you, you put on you put on thousand dollars worth of equipment, and you're in this swimming pool that's about six feet deep. And you learn all the things you need to do. And they did two what they call deep water dives at some springs to get me certified. But even there, I remember thinking, "Boy, I'm really, I'm really an adventuresome man learning to scuba dive." And we were in one of the springs, and I saw a shiny thing there, and I thought, "I'm like a." I'm like someone looking for treasure. And about that time, a 12-year-old boy, without any scuba gear whatsoever, swam down, picked up the quarter, and swam back up. And, uh, and I realized that, uh, that I held a whole lot of stuff that I didn't really need to depend on. Um, it wasn't until I went really scuba diving in the Keys, and we're way out, and I'm about 60 feet down, and I ran out of air. And all of a sudden... Uh, and I had to shear air coming up. And, uh, and all of a sudden, this whole idea of, of dependence was a whole different thing. So much of my Christian life, I've kind of been in the swimming pool with all the gear on and not depending much on Christ. The passage we're going to look at this morning is an invitation to see God differently, to see ourselves differently. The way you see yourself the way you see God and the way you think God sees you will determine how you live your life. And this morning, I'd like us to think about um, what we might learn about ourselves and about God when we stop and look at the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But before we talk about God and before we look at his word, let's talk to him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you so very much for the privilege to be here. Father, you know everybody here, and you know how stubborn, um, at least that I am, and I would guess most of us in here, and depend on ourselves instead of you. Father, the idea of being poor in spirit, the idea of being, of mourning are things that don't come naturally to us. We're a stubborn bunch. So would you meet us here this morning? You know every person in this room. You know the people that are struggling. You know the people that that really are sorrowing today. Father, you know what's happened in our country. You know what a difficult week it's been. You know what a difficult season it's been in Orlando. You know everything. So would you meet us this day in this place? And would you change us? Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use our time together to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort them? We pray in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The next few weeks, I get the privilege of of spending some time with you thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. It's a series that Jeff and I are doing together. And this week, we'll, we'll look at the first two verses in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll... And, 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 and if in general, if you fall asleep and wake up 15, 20 minutes from now, this is what we'll talk about is the idea of the invitation to brokenness. Next week, we'll look at the next two verses and it's an invitation to humility. The third week, we'll look at 
the next two verses, an invitation to kindness. And then Jeff will finish this series up and look at kind of the, the idea that, of, um, of, of being persecuted and being peacemakers. And so that'll be the series for the next few weeks together. But I've got to just tell you this morning, as I was just planning the ser- series, I've, I've, you know, I've heard this sermon so many, I've heard sermons on the Sermon on the Mound so many times that it didn't really get personal. Until this morning, and I got up this morning, I was looking back through the notes and in the invitation to be poor, the invitation to mourn, and, and, I, and I thought, Lord, I, I don't do that very well. I am incredibly self-reliant. I depend on myself more than I do on, on anything else. And I always have an exit strategy. I always have a plan. And as I was wrestling with this passage and looking at this this morning, thinking, I'm supposed to teach you, I'm supposed to talk with you about this, this, amazing, this amazing sermon that Jesus gives and realize how much, so much I need that in my life. This morning, if you'll step with me to a hillside 2,000 years ago and listen afresh to the words of Jesus, Now, we know because there's another passage in Luke that is similar to this. And so some people say, was it the same sermon? Was it the same, or was it a different sermon? Because they're so similar. But what most theologians believe is that Jesus spoke in themes that were pretty consistent. And so that he would give a sermon here and a sermon there, and there'd be consistency between them. And so that that, that they may not be the exact word. I mean, in Matthew, you're going to have, I mean, when Matthew talks about, I mean, Matthew was a tax collector, was he not? And when Matthew talks about the, the, the birth of Jesus, he reminds us about the, about the, about the wise men coming. Luke, Luke, uh, he's talking about the suffering and the struggling all the time. And so when Jesus is born, he talks about shepherds. So when Luke tells the, talks about this sermon, he says, Blessed are the poor. And he stops there. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we'll put both of those together and see that I think that God is speaking to us about both of those things. But the idea is that Jesus was consistent in his teaching and he taught different sermons. But this is probably the most, um, this is one that most of us know the most about. So on that hillside, let's look at that passage together. It's found in Matthew 5. It's sometimes called the Beatitudes. I I heard an elder talking this morning about somebody that he had been discipling and who was new to scripture and new to the Bible and new to the Christian faith. And so he gave him a Bible and he started reading it. And he said, I tell you what, I'm pretty excited about those Beatitudes. That was the Beatitudes. I thought that was kind of funny, but clearly you didn't. So... uh, Maybe if I repeated it, no. (laughs) Let's look at the word of God together. In chapter five, it says this. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach, and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, we're gonna stop at that moment, though it continues the rest of the Beatitudes. You know, Jesus 
incredible communicator. People come, come to him to hear him teach. And he's specifically talking to the disciples here. And he started the sermon in a way that many people would, have, would start to talk today. You want to be blessed? You want to be, you want to know how to get the kingdom of God? I mean, what a, what a great way to begin. You know, I grew up in the South. And so the idea of being blessed is, is kind of an interesting word. Bless your heart. Bless your heart could mean good things or bad things. So, I mean, you know, something happens, so bless your heart. Or if you say something really stupid, people will say, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your mother's heart, you know, that, that you didn't know. But the idea of blessing, blessing's an interesting word. We don't use it a whole lot. It, it's more than happiness. It's more than emotion. Uh, but some of your Bibles will translate it as happy. But it is that sense of well-being that comes from knowing that you're, uh, you have relationship and connection with God. It's that idea of blessing. So often, ironically, most of us see blessing as a material thing. I was blessed. I got, I got this. I got this. Won the lottery. I was blessed. How ironic, that's not the way God would talk about blessing. But he does draw his audience in by saying, essentially, do you want to know how you get the kingdom of God? Do you want to know how you, you, want to know how you get my blessing? Well, that, that would make anybody interested. So he pulls them in and then he turns it upside down. Because most of us think blessing is about getting more um, most of us think blessing is about, about success. I don't think that's how God sees blessing. I think God sees blessing as us trusting him and being connected with him. Well, let's, let's look together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to use economic terminology because God uses economic terminology and that'll make some of you nervous. But I've got a confession to make. I'm kind of a middle-class Christian. And what I mean by that is I want to, I don't want to have to radically depend on God. I want to radically depend on me. And then I just want to be nice to people. You know, I want to help out some people along the way and, and be a, you know, be good kind of a good middle-class Christian. Now that's great religion. It's just not the gospel. It's being a nice person. It's being kind to people. It's just not the gospel. The invitation here is to be poor. And somehow in being poor, there's an understanding of how dependent we really are on God. Have you ever been there? A few times in my life, sometimes around family, sometimes around relationships, sometimes in a doctor's office when you get bad news. I've, I've spent some time in my life because what I do for a living in emergency rooms and waiting rooms and where people are kind of at the end of themselves. Their resources are gone. They don't know how they're going to make it. 
They don't have any power. They don't have any authority. And they're just empty. It's amazing. Those are the moments all of us try to avoid. But those seem to be the moments that God does his greatest work in our lives. How many times have I heard somebody say something like, boy, I'd never go, I wouldn't want anybody to go through that, but it was, I was closer to God than I've ever been. I think of times when my wife and I were first married, just poor as we could be, and thinking, sometimes, how much better, easier, how much more connected it seemed. There wasn't so much distraction. And in this moment, Jesus pulls in the crowd and says, blessed are, okay, how do I get a blessing? How do I get a blessing? The poor in spirit. There's an odd invitation in this, an odd invitation to become powerless, to have no resources, to have no authority. See, the Old Testament talks about poverty a lot. 135 verses on poverty. And in those verses, it talks about, I mean, for example, in Proverbs, where it says that the field produces much, but the poor man's crops are taken away. See, he has no power. Another says that that a rich man will have friends, but a poor man has no friends, no resources, no power, no authority. Now, Here's what God would love for you and I to realize and everything in us pushes against it. You and I are desperately poor. And there's nothing, you don't have the resources, you don't have the authority, and you don't have the power to get a relationship with God. That you and I on our own are an incredible Poverty. And what's the Bible? Listen to the language of the Bible. The Bible, what's the language it uses when it talks about us? It talks about us being thirsty, hungry, and blind. I mean, the visceral language of the Bible is, is the language of, of, of desperateness. Because it's in that desperateness, people, God does some of his greatest work in our lives. And so we give our lives to Christ, and then we immediately say, okay, I'll take care of it from here. I got it from here. I don't want to have to really trust you. I'm going to put on scuba gear and go into the bathtub. I don't really need the scuba gear, but I'm going to, I know how to use it. Haven't been scuba diving since my event where I lost air. There was something about dependency that scared me just a little too much. I wonder if I'm not that way spiritually as well. So the invitation from God, the invitation to see yourself differently, to not see yourself as full of resources, but to see yourself as in need. You know, Jesus, he didn't save you because he needs you. He didn't save you to use you. He saved you because he loves you. It's a story I've told before, but I have a son named Skyler, and Skyler um, is kind of forever seven. He's 28 years old, but he's kind of forever seven. And 
We had a broken front door and we needed to, to replace the doorknob. Now, I'm not a very handy man. Uh, I don't fix things, make things, or kill things. I don't do any of the man tasks well. And so we had to replace this doorknob and it would have taken you an hour. Uh, not, it would have taken you an hour. It would have taken me by myself maybe two hours. I'm just not that handy. But we went to Lowe's and we bought a, a little doorknob and, and Skylar and I were gonna do it. And what would have been an hour long job for most of you, a two hour job without his help became about a three and a half hour job. He was hitting the door with a hammer. And then he, when the screws came out, he grabbed them and ran through the house. And, and then, and then it, I got so confused trying to keep up with him that we put, the, we put it in backwards. You know, it was one of those handles. And so you're supposed to kind of do it like this, but it went up like that, you know? And so, so I'm going, great, I've got to start over. And I pull the thing out and we, we flip the thing back around. And, and it was just... It was just a goat rodeo. It was just a mess. We finally finish and Mona comes home. Skylar sticks out his chest. He says, look what I just did. I fixed the door. (laughs) Now the truth is, I didn't need him. I love him. And I I wanted him to be about my business. And he needed to feel like he was doing something important. Remember when Jesus, remember when the Pharisees said to Jesus, get these people to be quiet. And he said, I could get the rocks to sing my praises. God doesn't need you. He wants you. He saved you. Because he loves you, not because he wants to use you. And it would be really helpful if you understood and began to see, if we began to see ourselves the way God sees us, as someone we love, someone he loves, but not someone that has the resources to take care of themselves. And not someone who has the authority to forgive their sin or fix them or make them good. We're not somebody who has the power to change a life. That all comes from him. And so this wild invitation on the mountainside, Jesus looking out at the disciples and says, you want blessing? Oh, yes. Poor in spirit. Or Luke just said poor. Acknowledge you're powerless. Acknowledge you don't have resources. Acknowledge you don't have authority. And then you'll have the kingdom of God. What an odd road to the kingdom of God. Not through me trying harder. Not through me pretending to other people that I've got it all figured out. Not but through acknowledging my dependence, my need, my poverty. That's hard for us to acknowledge. No, that's hard for me to acknowledge. 
but you've been there some. You've had a few moments where you realized you don't control the things the way you think you do. You've had a few of those moments where you realize that you don't have all the cards like you thought you did. And what you're left with is, will I just try harder? Will I pretend? Or will I live in the truth of this invitation to see it the way it is? Because if I do, if I acknowledge my need, my inability to take care of it by myself, then the promise is, I'll find the kingdom of God. I'll find his blessing. In a minute, we'll talk about some practical things you might do differently with that. But let's look at the next beatitude as well. Next, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The word mourn there is a word that can be used for lament as well. Now, lamenting is a lost art in our culture. The, the lamenting is all through the Bible. Lamenting is, is not the same thing as whining. Whining is, I'm not getting my way. I don't like it. And when our kids whine, we usually... You know, we're not very kind to that. Whining is not very, it doesn't, there's no invitation to a whine. And usually we say things like, um, would you like some cheese with that whine? Or, um, or I'm going to call the, anyway, we say things that aren't helpful. Because whining kind of pushes us away because when somebody's whining, they're pushing you away. They're being self-oriented. Lamenting is different from that. A lament is not when you walk away from God and whine, but you walk toward him and say, I don't understand. I'm broken. I, I'm, I'm afraid. I, I don't know what you're doing. Help me understand. Help me with my disbelief. Help me with, oh, why have you left me here? See, that's different from a whine. And God invites us to do that. As a matter of fact, he's inviting us to do that in this passage. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who lament. The laments of the Bible can be divided into two broad categories. Lamenting about God's presence. Where are you, God? Or God's goodness. Why did you let this happen? See, those are the questions that people ask after this horrific incident in Orlando just weeks ago. That was the questions. God, are you good? God, are you going to show up? Will you be present? Can I, can I count on you? And it's amazing that God doesn't say, you're struggling, you're suffering, you're mourning, get over it. He doesn't say, what do most of us do with suffering? What most of us do with suffering, we either try to overcome it or we try to minimize it or we try to pretend it's not there or we try to deny it. And in this amazing invitation, Jesus seems to say, embrace it and bring it to me. 
Blessed are those who mourn, who lament. For they will be comforted. We've all had dark nights. We've had long dark nights when we couldn't sleep. And in those moments, the Galilean on a hillside is saying to you, you're not alone. Lament. Mourn. And you'll find comfort. It's upside down, isn't it? It's almost the opposite of what we've been told all our lives. Just get over it. Pretend everything's okay. Fake it till you make it. Stuff we've heard all our lives. And there's Jesus looking you and I in the eye, not minimizing the fact that you're hurting, not minimizing the fact that there's sorrow, not pretending that everything's okay. He didn't die on the cross so we could pretend. But instead, taking seriously the state that you're in and taking seriously an invitation to mourn and the promise that you'll find the kingdom of God and the promise that you'll be comforted. What an upside down way to see the world. That the blessings don't come from pretending. The blessings don't come from acting. The blessings come from an honest understanding of who you are in your position and an honest understanding of who he is in his position. Lamenting will tell you he is. Being poor in spirit will remind you who you are. And remember, the way you see yourself and the way you see God and the way you think God sees you will determine how you live your life. So what do we do with this? Just a couple of practical suggestions. I'd like to invite you this week, first of all, read over the Beatitudes because we're gonna be spending the next, or the Betatudes, read over the Betatudes because we're gonna be spending, that was better, he, that was, he laughed over here. <laughs> he laughed, that's the second attempt at that. He laughed, I want you to know, and it seemed like a real laugh and I appreciate that. <laughs> the rest of you just went, Again, (laughs) we gave you a pity laugh the first time and now you're going again. But as you study that this week, I would invite you to write a psalm. Now don't worry, it won't get in the Bible. The canon's already been taken care of. And he's not gonna be adding yours to it. But I'd like you to consider writing a lament. For some of you, it might be a parent's lament because your kids haven't turned out the way you thought they would. For some of you, it might be a marriage lament. For some of you, it might be a career lament. For some of you, it might be a school lament. Uh, But there's an invitation 
to be someone who mourns because you'll be comforted. It's amazing. You know, most of the Psalms that are laments, all but one of them end in praise. Isn't that odd? It begins with, how can the wicked prosper? Where I feel like I'm going down, I'm drowning. And it ends in praise. Because there's an odd reality when you take your sorrows to the one who understands sorrow. When you take your brokenness to the one who understands brokenness. To take your poverty and your need to, one, to the one who came into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, his last meal in a borrowed Last uh, borrowed restaurant spot was buried in a borrowed tomb. He understands poverty. The God who understands need wants you to bring your needs to Him. He just wants you to see yourself the way you really are. And so the practical application is to lament. Another practical application. If we're going to be like Christ and this is what he values, this is what we should value. Who in your life right now is poor? Financially, emotionally, and spiritually. Who in your life, who around you is poor? Now, clearly if we're reading scripture, we are. But also, as you find the kingdom of God coming alive in you, who has God put in your life for you to be the kingdom of God for, for God's glory. Who, who around you is poor? Financially, emotionally, spiritually. Because if they're around you and you listen to Jesus, then I think you should move toward them. Because maybe he might use you to reflect the kingdom of God to them. around you is mourning. You might say, this is good for other people. I I think other people in this church need to hear about their poverty in Christ and about their their mourning. This is really good. Okay, if you're in that camp, great. I don't believe you, but that's okay. Well, then who around you is mourning that you could comfort? Oh, there's a lot of people to comfort. Our, Our culture Our society, our community is very broken and hurting. And instead of just being cynical and arguing about it and talking about things that really, what would it be like for you to look around for the people around you that need, that are mourning? Who has lost something near you that you care about? What would it be like to come to them and comfort them? And in doing that, you will be like Christ on the hillside to them. That's a practical application. So there's a personal application, looking at your own life, mourning before God, facing your own spiritual, financial, and emotional poverty, giving up your middle-class Christianity for the gospel of poverty Christianity that says, 
I have nothing to offer outside of Christ. But there's a real practical application that's going to take place in just a few moments that I want to invite you to. In a few moments, you're going to come to the table, to the communion table. And maybe for the first time in your life, come to it as an impoverished pauper with no resources, no authority, no power, and no advocate without the work of Christ. And as you take the elements, let it be as a poor, mourning person. Let it be that the words are fresh from that hillside as you celebrate his sacrifice on your behalf. He was made poor so you don't have to stay in spiritual poverty. He is the God who knows sorrow so you can be comforted in sorrow and you can be that for others. So this week, some practical application. Let's give up. Let's give up our commitment to live as scuba divers in a bathtub that have all the resources of the Bible but live without really needing it or depending upon it. And let's acknowledge who we really are and what we really have to offer. And let's be people who mourn, lament, and let's be people who face our own poverty. I think if we do that, this is not just an old story, an old sermon, but a fresh way to see God differently, yourself differently, and begin to taste how he sees you. And that'll change you. If you're poor, the richness of this will change you. But if you have all your resources, it's just another sermon. But let me be the first to tell you, if you don't already know, in God's economy, you're impoverished. And you need his work. His grace, his mercy, his comfort, and his kingdom now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we are like little children talking about physics. This is beyond us. Everything in us wants to just call ourselves sufficient and just grin and bear it and keep going. And you've invited us instead 
to come to you to lament, to admit our real standing. So give us the courage this week, this day, to do that afresh. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your great provision against our poverty. We pray these things in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.